You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Why you got to make this so hard to get through? I haven't even started yet. Y'all making it difficult. Thanks a lot, you guys. <laughs> oh, okay, here we are. I'm nervous. Everything I thought about talking about was going to feel really underwhelming. Bottom line. I don't know what I could say that I haven't said in the past 10 years already. Right? But, um... What I decided to do is do what I've been doing for the past three weeks, which is just to break out the old hits, right? The stuff that like, I really enjoyed preaching about or the stuff that's kind of guided me or helped me. So a couple weeks ago, I did Peter and the Sheets. Y'all remember? Yes. Sheets. If you know, you know. <laughs> Last week, I got to talk about Mary Magdalene. This week, apologies to all of y'all who I've married, okay? So my sincere apologies. Uh, apologies to all y'all who were here in 2018. It's the last time I preached on this. I'm going to talk about turning water into wine. Okay, and why that matters to me and why it sustained me as I've gone through this. Y'all remember about this, turning water into wine? <laughs> you guys remember about this? Y'all know this story? Jesus turns water into wine. It's in John chapter 2. So if you want to open up your Bible apps, you can do that and follow along. But first, I want to talk a bit about miracles. Can we talk about that? All right. Miracles. There's 37 of them in our scriptures. Did they happen? Did they not happen? Did Jesus really feed 5,000 people with two loaves and five fish? Did, did he walk on water? Did, did he put demons into pigs and have those pigs go over a cliff? That's a real one. Right? Did that happen? I always think that pig farmer had to be so pissed. Right? Like, they have to bother him so much. Like, that's my livelihood, man. But anyway, did they happen? Did they not happen? Right? Great, great question. I think we fall into three areas with this one, though. Right? That's what we do. Some of us say, yeah, miracles happen. Right? Miracles happen. I know they happen. I've, I've seen them. I've not been able to explain what's gone on, but it's happened in my life, and so I believe miracles happen. And then there's a whole other camp of that, of that go, you know what? No, no, not really. Um, you see miracles in the scriptures were before we had scientific evidence, and we had reasoning and some logic, and so maybe those were ways people explained things back then, but that didn't really happen. Miracles didn't happen. Then there's a third group. I like you the least. And if you're here, Jesus loves you. <laughs> And that group is the group that goes, well, if miracles didn't happen, then we have to throw the whole Bible away. That group, I'm like, come on, people. We can do better than that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think about the binary, right? You guys know at this point, 10 years in, I don't like binaries, right? Did miracles happen? Did they not happen? I don't know. I kind of don't care. But here's the thing. Here's what happens when we do care. 
We do care there's three problems. And problem number one is this. We believe that miracles can only happen within the context of our modern era, which is the Enlightenment era, which is only about 300 years old. So we say that miracles can only happen if they can't be explained through science or reasoning or logic. And basically we're saying without like Newton and Descartes and Locke and then the thousands of African and Asian philosophers and scientists that we don't know about because our school system is inherently racist, like we can't experience, you know, miracles without that, right? Like that's what we're saying. That's... That's faulty. We're saying that we can't experience miracles unless our brains comprehend them. We only use 10% of our brains. I said this last time. Our brains are faulty, right? So we can only experience miracles if, you know, our brains can comprehend that? I don't like that. But here's the thing. If we need the duality of miracles, if we need that, then I think we have lost our imagination. That is what I think. We have lost our imagination. Remember our imaginations? Raise your hand if you had one. Yes! Some of y'all didn't raise your hand. You're like, never had one. <laughs> never will. <laughs> we had imagination! <laughs> I heard that. I'll talk to you later. Um, remember when we were like firefighters and superheroes? Remember that? Remember, like, my sisters were the waitresses and movie stars. They wanted to be those two things. I had a family member that would say, when I grew up, I want to be a baby elephant. Because... <laughs> Because when we have our imagination, it is within the realm of possibility that we will wake up and become a baby elephant. That's what imagination does for us. And then we lost it. And then it went away. Now it's stuck in our Instagram. It's locked on your phone. Some of y'all left your imaginations at the office before COVID and haven't been back to get them yet. That's happened. We lost our imagination. I lost my imagination. My, my daughters, Asha and Lila, they, they, they said a few years ago, they said, Dad, tell me a story. I said, okay. I said, there was once two girls. <laughs> and their names were Asha and Lila. And they said, Dad, that's who we are right now. At least make us fairies or something. But I couldn't even do that because I lost my imagination. We've lost our imagination. You know, we've replaced our imagination with scarcity. That's what we've replaced it with. We're afraid. I'm afraid, y'all. Some, some of y'all afraid. Raise your hand if you are a little bit afraid. Yeah, we are. Scary things going on, right? Think we're out of the woods. We're not quite out of the woods. Some of us are looking for new jobs. <laughs> some of us are looking for new places to live. Do we have enough money? Is it going to work out? And so the places where we had our imagination gets replaced with scarcity. In fact, I don't have time to imagine. I only have time to be practical because it's the practicalities that are going to get me through life. And so I'll put my imagination on hold for now, and I'll get to this stuff first. And then if I have time, I'll get back. And I think we're doing it backwards because the truth of the matter is we've got to reclaim that imagination. My friend Brian McLaren, he said this, and I've been saying this throughout Forefront's lifetime, so this probably sounds familiar to some of you. He says, what happens to us when we imagine miracles happening? Not did they happen, didn't they happen, but what happens to us when we can imagine miracles happening? It's a different way to frame it. So what happens to us when we can imagine miracles happening? Well, we got to imagine Jesus turning water into wine, and we got to imagine Jesus doing it at a wedding. Have you all tried to picture Jesus at a wedding before? He probably looks like a couple of you, you think? You think. How are you guys at weddings? I want to imagine you at weddings. Are you the kind that, like, you got your Shirley Temple and you're just poking at ice? 
Are you the kind of, like, somebody tries to get you on the dance floor and you go, no, no. Are you one of those? I hope not. Are you the kind of people that, uh, that you know, you're like, hey, I, I know they haven't cut the cake yet, but can we leave out, like, it's going to take, like, an hour to get back. Shame on you. Like I said, Jesus loves you, but Jesus was nothing like you. Jesus loved weddings. I think we forget that. Jesus loved weddings. Jesus was out there on the dance floor. He did the cha-cha with everybody. He had the adorable slow dance with the little girl, you know, and everybody went, oh. And, and then he even did the wobble. And some of you are like, Jesus knows the wobble? You were like, whoa. All right, Jesus, you know, the circle formed, and Jesus started breakdancing. Jesus was a great breakdancer. It said it in Scripture. And all that happened, right? And then he gets out, and he's done. He's, he's sweaty, you know, and, and it's the best wedding ever. You know this wedding? You know it? You know when you're with your friends and you're on the party bus and it's like two days long and you're like, this is the best time of my life and it's never getting any better. You know that? That's what Jesus was at. That's where he was. And so what happens is he goes out back with his friends and they're having a drink, maybe a smoke, I don't know. And next thing you know, Jesus' mom shows up. And, Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, we're out of wine. Well, like any good Jewish boy, Jesus says, how can I help? You know what he says? Women, why do you concern me with this? It is not my time. Y'all ever try to say something like that to your mom? Hmm. There's a good chance I'd be out of the house. It is not my time. Now, there's a lot of theological implication for why people think Jesus said this. I personally think it was that great of a wedding, right? And you can't change my mind about this. It was that great of a wedding. He was with friends. He's having such a good time. You don't want to be bothered in that time. It's like when you're like out there and like when you had small kids and somebody was like, hey, I know you're having the best time, but so-and-so needs their diaper changed. You're like, really? Tell them to walk around with a dirty diaper for a little longer. <laughs> or for my introverts out there, you ever like, you ever make a great sandwich? A fantastic sandwich, and you pour like a glass of wine or a beer, and, and you're getting ready, and you're just gonna sit down and watch a show, you know, like your Mayor of East Town or whatever you're watching right now. And you have it, and you're ready, and you sit down, and you look because your phone starts ringing, and you're like, I gotta take this call, and it's gonna be like 20 minutes long. That feeling. You know that feeling? That's what Jesus was feeling. There's no theology behind this. None. None. But Jesus' mom, she knows a thing or two about imagination. because She knows what happens when you can imagine miracles happening. That's why we have an immaculate conception. So she doesn't even respond to Jesus. She says to the servants, do whatever he says. Because that's what our moms do. They don't talk to us, do they? <laughs> they talk to the other person. And they say, well, if he doesn't do blah, 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 he's going to get us, right? And then we hear it, and we go, okay, I better do it. That's Jesus. He said, okay, I better do this. So what does he do? He says to the servants, he says, hey, give me six stone jars. Now, what you have to understand about these six stone jars is this. This is the important part of the story, so listen up if you haven't been listening. The six stone jars have no business being at a wedding. They have no business being used to drink out of. They have no business being in a place where a party is going on. They sat outside of the door. They were about four feet high. And what you would do is you would see these jars whenever you walked into an entrance. There would be an entrance at somebody's house, at the temple, at the synagogue. There would be an entrance wherever you were. And what you would do is when you got to the door, you would stick your hands in these jars. And you would clean yourself off. And somebody stood by the door. And when that person stood by the door, they would look at your hands. And they would make a decision. 
You're either clean or you're unclean. That's what they would say. You're either clean or you're unclean. So you can imagine after thousands of years of this tradition, it really wasn't about if your hands were clean or unclean. See, after thousands of years of this tradition, it started to become about who are you? Who are you? Are you somebody who I like, somebody who's on my socioeconomic level? Are you somebody who's part of my ethnicity, of my culture, of my tradition? If so, look at you, you're clean, come on in. If not, you're unclean. So all of a sudden, this becomes less about whether you're physically okay and more about what people think of you. And if you're physically not okay, that was even worse, actually. Right, because if you're physically not okay, if there's something wrong, if, if there's a mental challenge you might have, a physical challenge you might have, that was determined to be a sign from God that you were a sinner and you were unworthy of God's love. And so what you would hear was unclean, and not only did you hear that you were unclean, you couldn't come into the wedding, what you had to do is then you had to walk around and say, I'm unclean to everybody. You had to let everybody know. And when that started to happen, that was it. Like, you were so, like not only were you seen as like a, a sinner, but your family was seen as a sinner. You were an outcast. These are the jars that Jesus takes. Jars of separation, jars of anxiety, jars of in or out, jars of, jars of exclusivity. Give me those jars. What does he do? They turn into wine. He fills them with wine. Now, my sincerest and real apologies to anybody in recovery, because this isn't like the perfect transition here. But what is wine? What's wine? It's the great equalizer. Y'all get enough wine, everybody? You're putting your hands around everybody. You're singing, you're dancing, you're having the best time, regardless of who that person is, regardless of what's going on. What happens is you move from anxiety to joy. What happens is you move from in or out to everybody's in. What happens is you move from solemn experience to party. What happens is I, I, can't, I can only hear the celebration. I'm now included in the celebration. You see, I don't think the miracle was turning water into wine. What can I imagine if I imagine miracles happening? when I think about it like chemicals, waters, grapes, that's kind of a miracle. Nobody cares. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I don't think that's the miracle. I, I think the miracle is this. I think the miracle is Jesus taking thousands of years of tradition, thousands of years of religion, thousands of years of people feeling anxiety about whether they're in or out, and he basically smashes these jars and says, from this point forward, everyone is included, everyone is loved, everyone's affirmed, everyone's invited to the party, and the party's just getting started. That's what he's saying. What can we imagine happening? Imagine water being turned to wine. Clean to unclean, anxious to joyous, anxiety to celebration, in and out to enough for everybody, dividing to uniting, hostility to solidarity, us versus them to a love story. People there, they couldn't imagine it. Can you, thousands of years of tradition broken. But that's what Jesus is in the business of doing, doing the things that we can't quite imagine. In 2011, uh, we got hired to start this church. We were two months into it. Oh, boy, I remember trying to talk to anybody who had a pulse and just being like, hey, will you join my church? And people were like, nah. But, like, but like I, there was this one event. It was going to be at Cota Bene on 3rd and Carroll, and we were living in Carroll Gardens at the time. So I remember just being so discouraged because I was hearing a lot of no's, and we were walking to that place. And so we were walking over the Gowanus Canal and I looked over the canal, and it wasn't the beautiful sight that it is today. It was, um, it was a little different back then, right? And as I looked out, I said to Juby, I said, 
I can't imagine anyone wanting to be a part of this. I can't imagine it. And I showed up, and there were 40 people there. I do remember that. And I sat down at this table, and somebody stuck out their hand, and they said, hey, I'm Mira. <laughs> and I was like, oh, nice to meet you. Are you, you going to be a part of our church? And what ends up happening is not only is she a part of our church, she becomes the children's director, then the Asofa Divinity School, and she's going to plant another church because when I can't imagine something at work, God is already doing it. And can you imagine what happens when you show up at a place in Mirasville? Right? <laughs> Steph is my sister. She's my kid's godparents for all intents and purposes. Steph, if you're watching, if we die, you have to take our kids. <laughs> Um, and Steph, Steph was outside in the lobby over here where she was sitting on the steps and she said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. She said, hey, do you think this church can ever be an affirming church? And I just I started talking out of scarcity. I said, oh, you know, wow, we got so much money and look, we're gonna, pe people are coming. Oh, yeah. Ah, you know, hemmed in hard, right? Because scarcity, practicality, maybe at some point. But what happens when you can imagine miracles happening? When you can imagine miracles happening, you say yes to Steph. And then you decide that not only do you say yes to Steph, you say yes to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in New York City and beyond. You say yes, this isn't a place where you have to show me whether your hands are clean or unclean. This is a place where we already know who you are and you're affirmed and included 100%. Come on in. That's what you get to do. That's it. What can you imagine when you imagine miracles happening? What about Mackenzie sitting right over there two years ago and said, Jonathan, I think I'd like to volunteer a little bit more. No, that's what she was sitting two years ago. Stop. <laughs> she was sitting over there in that spot. <laughs> I love you, man. And, and she said, I want to volunteer more. And I said, why don't you work for us? And she said, I could never imagine working at a church before. And then she just said yes to it anyway. And then she jumps on staff, and then after staff, she becomes part of the executive council. And now she's holding this thing down and creating what we have here, because this is what happens when you imagine miracles happening. This. Angela and Pierre showing up at church with a lot of people, a lot of folks, good friends. We kind of changed our theological position, letting people into the party. It didn't really sit well with a lot of people. A lot of people started leaving. And Angela and Pierre said, I don't really know what to do with you or this church. <laughs> but I'm going to stick around for a minute and see what happens here. Because I can imagine there might be something that goes down. And now Angela just brings the Holy Spirit every Sunday, right? Because that is what happens when we imagine miracles happen. Do we see what I'm getting at here? This is what happens when we can imagine miracles happening. It's not do they, do they not. It's what can we imagine. Can we imagine what God might be up to? Can we imagine the parties we get to start? Can we do that? There's this theologian. His name is Robert Hotchkiss. He says this. Christians ought to be celebrating constantly. We ought to be preoccupied with parties and banquets and feasts. We ought to give ourselves over to veritable orgies of joy because we have been liberated from the fear of life and the fear of death. And here's what I want you to know more than anything for my last Sunday. My last Sunday is teaching, Pastor. Here's what I want you to know. I'm going to read it. You guys know I don't read it, but I don't want to mess it up, okay? There's no time. There's no time for scarcity. There's no time to be practical. 
There is no time to get afraid or shrink away. There is no time for that. There is no time to say, well, it won't be the same. Of course it's not going to be the same. That's the good part. There is no time. I want you to imagine. I want you to reclaim your imagination, and I want you to imagine what can happen at forefront when you imagine miracles happening. And I want you to look out for ceremonial washing jars and imagine what happens when you break them. And I want you to continue to destroy and disrupt and break apart anything or anyone that tells people they are unclean. And I want you to tell those on the outside that they're honored guests and that they've always been invited. And I want you to be preoccupied with parties and banquets and feasts because you know it's in those spaces that the miracles take place because I want you to tell more miraculous stories. And I want this church to become a veritable orgy of joy because we're no longer afraid of veritable orgies of joy. And I want this church to liberate others from fear of limited, unimaginative Christianity. And I want you to continue to make this place a huge freaking party. I want you to usher in the next 500 years of Christianity. <laughs> I ha- I ha- one more time. You had, to, you had to give me that, right? One, one more. <laughs> Jesus saves the best for last because the servants, they say, this is the best wine. You save the best for last. I think this church is saving the best, and it's not going to be last, but the best for what's next. And if you have faith and hope, rather than nostalgia and fear, that this hurricane of change could be forefront's opportunity to let bad religion die once and for all, and something new and better and more beautiful be born. In other words, you thought the water was good? Try the wine. You think the wine is good? Try the new wine. Because that's where we're going. That's where this church is going. And you are a part of that experience. So, what can you imagine when you imagine miracles happening? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask it a different way for a sec. Because I've got I to gotta be honest about how I feel, okay? What feels impossible? This church at one point, it felt impossible. This church as we know it, at one point, it felt impossible. Right now, I have tons of peace, lots of grief, anxiety, joy. I can't quite sort it all out. It feels impossible. Me getting another job right now in some ways feels impossible. (laughs) I'll get there. Don't worry about me. (laughs) So I want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about what feels impossible right now. What is it? Does it feel impossible to try to stick around when when the thing that feels comfortable is maybe moving on in some different ways? Does it feel impossible to make that next move? Does it feel impossible not to think in practicalities? What feels impossible? What can you imagine when you imagine miracles happen? And here's what I can imagine for Forefront, that you are being renewed You are being reborn. Your eyes are being opened to new sights and idea and wonder, and your imagination is expanding, and you forefront will even do three impossible things before breakfast. And you are invited to the party, all of you without exception, fully 100% affirmed as children of God. That's your starting point. And the party, it's just getting started. And you all, with Benida and Mac, are just getting started. And I am just getting started. 
cannot wait to celebrate with all of you the miraculous tomorrows. And I can only imagine the noise that we make when this church has the audacity to break ceremonial jars and bring about the infinite, just and generous expression of Jesus Christ. It will be an absolute miracle. And I say this with all the love and sincerity and gratitude that I can muster. It has been my privilege and my joy to walk with you on this journey. For me and my family, it is the miracle. It was the impossible. And thank you for letting us do it with you. And to that I say, amen and amen. Will you guys pray with me? This is a prayer that our staff read on Monday. And I'm going to pray it over us right now. And it goes like this. Beloved source of security, I wish for total freedom from all forms of destructive fear. And in its place, lead me to the freedom of surrender. You hold me while I grow, and in this confidence, I release my anxieties about my life, its survival and success. And I trust you with my unfolding story. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.